Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and thanks for tuning in to Relationship Wednesdays. I'm Dr. Nefertiti Noel. And I'm Darren Noel. And tonight we have a special guest uh, host with us. Her name is Jennifer Bylock. Yes. I want to welcome Jennifer to the show. And Jennifer is a licensed clinical professional counselor, also a certified alcohol and drug counselor. She's been practicing counseling for over 15 years, and she's been with here and the one of the social counseling firm as a therapist for over five years. So, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I wish to uh, welcome our listeners as well. Happy to be here with you tonight. All right, so tonight's topic, we've been leading up to our film being released tomorrow, Scars of the Soul, and um, we've been talking about sexual assault, rape, molestation, and, and like everything in between that spectrum of what's going on. And all of us have seen in the media so much stuff is being released right now about uh, sexual assault, family molestations, rapes, allegations. It's like really all over the media. I think just today they released that um, Rachel Dozel, the woman that's been in the news right now with her um, identity crisis situation going on, that her brother is being accused of raping a young boy, and she feels like she's being used to be discredited so that that boy doesn't get the trial that he deserves. We've also heard um, in the news about the Duggars and uh, Josh Duggar and him saying that he made some bad choices when he was younger, that he hopes doesn't follow him through his adult career. And then we find out that those bad choices are, is um, allegedly raping children. We hear about uh, Bill Cosby, who has allegedly 16 people saying that he drugged and assaulted them. We're hearing about so many stars coming out saying that they have a history of drug use that's associated with sexual assault and abuse that they endured while they were children. We hear about our female soldiers being raped while they are serving our country. We hear about our college students being raped while they're while they're going away to be educated. And this is one of those hot topics that we look at the sensationalism, but I'm not sure if there are a lot of people really talking about what rape actually is, what sexual assault is, and what the aftermath of these things are. So after the stories are done, after the police have been called, what happens to a family, um, the situation? Absolutely. We can get into that today because there are physical side effects as well as psychological side effects that can last for years and years and years. We want to get into those topics today. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. So, Jennifer, I have a direct question for you. What, what is one of the biggest side effects or the things that people experience after a rape or sexual assault? One of the huge ones that I've experienced with clients over the years is, number one, they don't feel safe and they don't feel believed. So a lot of focus is placed on safety and security and of building a trust uh, with others around them. They become highly selective, if selective at all, and sometimes they tend to isolate or closet themselves. Another factor that is first and foremost is in order to mask the pain or the fear, they usually get involved, they have the tendency to get involved with controlled substances, alcohol. Uh, drugs of choice, such as cocaine, heroin, anything that's going to cut away or self-medicate away the pain. Okay, absolutely. And I I think one of the things we've all seen as clinicians and working with a population where people have had histories of trauma is that people self-medicate. They always are, people are always looking for a way to feel better. Like at the core, people want to feel better. And lots of times people use things that are negative things to feel better instead of the positive things to feel better. So, so Jennifer, let me ask another question. Um, Why, one of the questions that we got, we got so many email questions, but somebody asked a specific question about why is treatment so important? 
trimming is very important because, number one, it gives the survivor the ability to accept that the sexual assault has happened. The second goal of therapy is to help the survivor change his or her beliefs enough to accept that the rape has occurred without catastrophizing it. And the third goal of treatment is to allow the survivor to feel his or her feelings and especially become more in tune with reality-based thinking because they have been assaulted, something so sacred has been taken from them, does not necessarily have to mean that it's the end of the world for them. Mm-hmm. Give them a chance to heal, and there are different therapies that are highly effective that can help survivors cope through uh, such a horrific event. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, do you think recovery is possible? Have you have you actually helped people get, get better? Yes, recovery definitely is possible. depends upon how in the type of therapy that's used. We have to make sure that the therapeutic style of the therapist is a good match for the client. So, for example, if a client is a visual learner, we want to make sure that we give them strategies in print. If the client is an auditory learner, perhaps maybe films or other visual tools um, along with uh, perhaps tapes, uh, CDs, something that can help them feel emotionally validated as they learn to reprogram their thinking and to engage in that process of recovery. Okay. Do do you feel like um, everyone that's been assaulted needs treatment? Is that something that you think we we should encourage people to do? I would highly recommend treatment for anyone who has gone through such trauma. Very difficult to try to work through these traumas, these events, flashbacks, nightmares alone. And I think part of the reason why many assaults are not reported is because the person, the survivor, actually feels completely isolated and alone. And again, it's usually um, a result from the fear of being judged, from the fear of not being believed, and of course from the fear of continued criticism from others. Uh, And that ties in nicely with uh, the myth behind rape, uh, such as the woman asked for it or the man was asking for it, Mm -hmm. or what did the woman wear, what did the survivor wear that provoked the predator to attack. Mm -hmm. So uh, this ties in with the myths and uh, what contributes to rape culture within itself. Absolutely. One of the things I want to piggyback on that uh, Jennifer said is therapy offers, she didn't use these words, but, but therapy offers a safe space to be believed. And the purpose of therapy is, so a clinician is not going to be your advocate at court maybe, but we will be the person that advocates for you that you don't have to self-loathe anymore, that you can be believed, that we don't need to know every detail to believe what you're saying is true and help you get from that experience to, to maybe feeling better and to eventually thriving in your own skin, like enjoying being in your own skin and not being so afraid. I think the other thing that therapy can help you do is decide within your your sphere of influence who's supportive to you and who's not. I feel like a lot of times people that have survived rape um, are still seeing their rapists, especially if it's a family member, especially if it's a father, especially if it's an uncle or a neighbor. People minimize it. And then, you know, you may tell that it happened, maybe they don't believe you, and you're still having Thanksgiving dinner with Uncle Bucky. And therapy allows you to have a safe place to say, I can't do that anymore. 
I'm not comfortable with that anymore. And then especially with Jennifer having a CA, a, a license with helping people that are chemically dependent, I think one of the things she's very good at is helping you to see that you can depend on yourself and not depend on something outside of you like drugs, alcohol, or even abusing yourself. Sometimes people can become addicted to self-injury. So it's not just the addiction of drugs or alcohol. It can be pornography, gambling, all kinds of things that people reach outside of themselves to do to make themselves feel better. So one of the things we can do, we have 21 minutes left, guys. Like this is going, Our show is going quickly tonight because we have such a great co-host. And so one of the things I want to go through is um, the list of questions that people mailed in. We've got about 13 questions, and I want to go through them and, and, and hit some of the answers as, as quickly as we can or, or as in-depth as we can with the time that we have. Um, so the, one of the questions is, I'm going to say what is right for the last question. Um, one of the questions says, how long will the symptoms of depression and PTSD last post the rape? So, so Jennifer, can you can you speak to that question? And this is an answer that is a little bit tricky because it's going to depend. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons why I suggest that is because sometimes people will hold off from getting treatment for themselves. Mm-hmm. And this is something that they harbor and it begins to nest within mm-hmm. them. Uh, and it starts to stew. So sometimes those flashbacks, those reliving the uh, occurrence, uh, re-experiencing certain sights, mm-hmm. sounds, smells, engaging in being hypervigilant, programmed to jump at every little sound or to constantly look over your shoulder, if that's been going on for years, that type of treatment to counteract that, to reprogram that, may take a little longer so it's going to depend and upon the intensity of the situation itself and how the person perceives the trauma. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I always tell people, just like what Jennifer's saying, it takes as long as it takes. Um, because if you if a person's been molested at three and they don't talk about it until they're forty, from three to forty they're gonna have some symptoms. And then if you start talking about it at forty, how much has that impacted your life? that we have to help you unravel, right? So it's not as simple as um, you come in and we say in seven sessions um, you will be healed, right? It's possible that you may be dealing with these issues for maybe a year, two years, five years after you start talking about it, and then life changes happen. If you were molested as a child and you don't have children, maybe maybe you do well for a while and then you have a child, and then that child turns three the same age you were when the when the situation started that could put you into a tailspin that brings up some symptoms that you might not have otherwise thought about. Um, Maybe media brings it up for you. Like, you know, if you're a Facebook watcher and and you're doing great, but then maybe 50 articles come up about rape, that can trigger a situation for you. Um, Maybe you watch Law & Order SVU all the time, and you're, you're like, re-stimulating the rape inside yourself and not even being able to sort of figure out why am I feeling so bad. So it's going to take as long as it takes, and it also depends on how much work you're willing to do. I think that's the second question. Wouldn't you agree, Jennifer, that it takes some effort? Definitely, because not only does the therapist help to redirect and help you to correct your way of thinking, uh, it's to help you identify and educate you, inform you of where the faulty thoughts are, what your major triggers are that lead to unhealthy behaviors. So if the therapist can help redirect you and you partner with your therapist, it means that you both take responsibility during the therapeutic process. And in order to do that, your therapist 
will challenge you in a constructive way to help redirect you and to engage in reality-based thinking. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, how to learn and demonstrate coping strategies when you are under emotional duress because you've been triggered by a major episode or an event. could be the sight, the the smell, Mm -hmm. and so forth, the memories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it also depends on the training level of your clinician, right? I think that when people think about therapy and counseling, people are getting kind of general about what that means. Um, and not just because both Jennifer and I are licensed, but I feel like people that have been trained in trauma know the stages of trauma recovery. They know the stages of rape trauma syndrome. They know, like, if you're coming in in a manic stage or, or having panic attacks, we can identify those things and know what they are, right, and then have some some scientifically backed tools to help you make some of the changes that you need to make. Um, Jennifer, can you give us the, the the stages of rape trauma syndrome? Sure. There are five stages of rape trauma syndrome. The first stage is pre-assault. And this is where perhaps the survivor um, is walking down perhaps an alley and has some sense of doubt or there's something not quite right. And this is what's helping them to protect themselves, their sense of intuition. So that is the pre-assault stage. Something's not quite right. The actual assault stage is, of course, when the trauma actually happens, when the rape, the sexual assault is in full force. Stage three is what we call acute crisis. And during acute crisis, survivors often crave for control. They try to present themselves as in control or it can have a flip side to that with reactive expressive reactions, highly intense emotional um, and very, very um, catastrophizing in, in, in the way that they think, the way that they perceive the world now. Because prior to the actual assault, maybe their perception was the world is a wonderful place and I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the assault, it might be the world is a terrible place and there are no good people in the world and I can't mm-hmm. trust anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's acute crisis. And then we move on to what we call outward adjustment. This is a breaking period. The survivor is very exhausted. The nightmares, the flashbacks, and so forth. And what they want to do is they want to put it in a rearview mirror. They want to put it on a back burner somewhere and go on with their lives. And then the main uh, portion, the main stage is acceptance, and this is where true recovery begins. Uh, learning and understanding of that they are not responsible for what had taken place. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to prevent any trauma, such as that horrific in nature. You, there are ways to prevent them from happening again. So having a plan in place and accepting that it is what it is, it has occurred, but I will move forward. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I think is important is that a person can be in any part of this stage and come in for treatment. I think another thing is important is you may have all of these stages happening to you or none of these stages happening to you, right? It doesn't it doesn't invalidate that something occurred. And what we're giving you is some guidelines that you may feel hypervigilant for a while. You may feel like the world isn't trustworthy. You may have an acute crisis and say, I can't believe this happened to me and come in in the midst of that. And what therapy helps you to do is in any one of those stages or, like I'm sure Jennifer can attest to this, we've had many a client come in and we're talking about marital concerns and months down the line they mentioned that they were raped or assaulted. Definitely. 
And you go, oh, okay. And they go, oh, but I'm not really being affected by that, right? And then we see the effects outwardly, but they may not, you may not visibly see your own effects because many people, you, everybody uses coping mechanisms, right? And so sometimes you can convince yourself that you're okay even when you're not okay. And maybe you need to do that in, in your environment to feel good. So, Jennifer, thanks so much for giving us those answers. And so I'm going to jump to another question. It's question number seven. This one um, is pretty interesting to me. The type is pretty, pretty small, so I'm going to dig in here. It says, hello, I am a 40-year-old married man with three children. I have had a great deal of rage, and I'm aware that it's related to being molested by my father when I was a child. I want to tell my wife, but I'm afraid that she will think less of me. In the past, she has made jokes about men that have been raped, and she feels like boys and men being raped is impossible. Please help me with how to start this conversation. Wow, that's a pretty intense question. Um, You know, I'm going to begin by saying that you might want to clarify for yourself why you're telling her and what you want her to know about the situation. I'm assuming because of your question, you talk about having a great deal of rage, that you want to sort of explain to her why you feel like you have so much rage. So to do that, I'm going to tell you to use something called a soft start. And this is something that John and Julie Gottman talk about in their, um, their, we've talked about them on the show before. There are a couple of psychologists that do a lot of work with couples. But they talk about sitting down saying um, sort of lightly, hey, I need to discuss a few things with you. And I want to start by saying that um, I'm not blaming you for anything and that I'm not angry with you for anything, but I need you to hear what has happened for me. That, That may be one way to do it. Um, I think another way to think about it is that if she's making jokes about boys and men being raped, and we know that this is this is plausible. First, let me stop and say it is true that boys and men can be raped. Do you agree with that, Jennifer? Definitely, yes. The myth has been uh, completely debunked. Uh, most people think that only women can be raped. Definitely not. Men can also be, um, you know, uh, be assaulted. Assaulted. Absolutely. So, but what what you're looking at when you hear your wife do that is a part of what rape culture is, right? That we think it's okay to make jokes about things that we don't understand. So, if a girl is drunk at a party and she gets raped, it's it's the question. It's a joke about um, when is no one know before or after they get drunk. You know, all of those kinds of jokes. And so, joking about the fact that men and boys cannot be raped is mythical, but it also shows us the uncomfortableness that we have with understanding that rape is less about um, gender and more about power and people forcing themselves or their agenda on somebody else. So I would suggest that you write down the key points that you want to say to her. Start with a soft start of discussing it with her. Make sure it's you and her together. I wouldn't do this with you, her, and the kids. Um, The other thing you might want to be aware of is that if you're 40 with three children, it sounds like you've been married for a while. She may have some questions as to why you waited so long to, to afford her the ability to have the knowledge of what happened to you. So my suggestion is you kind of make a list of what you want to talk about. You sit down with her at a time that she can hear you, like not right after the, when she gets home or not right when the kids need a bath, but some, set some time apart and just say, I need to tell you some information about myself that maybe I wasn't able to say before. Jennifer, any thoughts about that? Another option that I would encourage you to do is if you're struggling and can't quite arrange to have that meeting with your wife, to seek individual therapy for yourself to process through that anger and eventually link her in for couples therapy Mm -hmm. so that you both can learn and demonstrate effective communication strategies. And your therapist will be uh, there with you to help facilitate uh, in a non judgmental fashion. 
uh, but to help you to gain a better understanding of how you're responding to each other and are you actively listening to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's an option for you. That's a great idea. Yeah, that is an awesome idea because sometimes, you know, there's a book called um, Tough Conversations that you can take a look at. Um, And, of course, right now the author escapes me, but I will post it up on our blog uh, so that you can know who the author is. But having tough conversations really takes some effort. So you might want to, as Jennifer is suggesting, seek an outside source like a therapist to help you decide kind of, how do I manage through this and what do I say, right? Because if you've not said anything for years, that means that there's some shame in there and you want to deal with that first so that the conversation doesn't end up um, in a rage. So great suggestions, Jennifer. So another question says, um, number 11, Jennifer, I'm going to give this one to you, says, can a woman rape someone? Definitely so. Um, Sometimes people are under the influence and sexually, Uh, The organs are are pretty mechanical, especially for males. Arousal can take place, Mm -hmm. and he does not actually have to give consent um, in terms of, you know, uh, any sexual uh, connectedness with the female. The female can take full charge and actually rape the male. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, another, you know, myth to debunk. Absolutely. One of the things I'm going to say is that people really mystify sex. Like it's, um, I saw you, you saw me, and then we connected, and now we're going to have sex. Sex is really a natural body function, right? And so um, that's why a lot of men don't go and get their prostate checks or don't go see physicians because they feel like, well, if he doesn't examine, I get an erection, is that going to mean something about me? But your body responds to touch. So just because a male's body responds does not mean that that's a yes. So an erection doesn't mean it's okay to have sex. Um, also, rape is not just vaginal or 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 the penis has to be involved. Sometimes people do things with foreign objects, right? And they um, we hear on the news about someone was sodomized and they used a, a, a stick or this or that. So there's lots of things that can happen that fall under the category of sexual assault and rape, and they're not interchangeable. I mean, they're different things, the sexual assault and rape and molestation that that women can definitely take part in and, and be perpetrators of. And I think, as Jennifer said, that's another myth that's been debunked, that rape is not just a male-dominated thing. Unfortunately, it, it seems like everybody's getting involved with hurting one another. Um, so any other comments about that, Jennifer? Um, it's just that I think, again, it falls into the, 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 the rape culture mm-hmm. uh, where Things of this nature get passed along, um, and unfortunately, people make poor judgment uh, in terms of what they wish to disclose to other people, especially in terms of what's actually true, and that's why we are here to help debunk and make Mm -hmm. sure that you're aware and educated of the false statements Mm -hmm. that are put out there, whether it be through the media, whether it be through social network, and so forth. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, question number 12, and I have to say to everyone that emailed these questions, I'm super proud of your courage to be able to ask these questions. And I, I understand why people aren't necessarily calling in to ask the questions, why you email them, because sometimes um, there's so much, like 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 Jennifer said, non-reality-based thinking about rape and what happens to someone and who's to blame, that it, we really do have some ingrained shame in our culture about surviving or being a victim of rape. Um, I'm going to skip down to number 12 that says, I was raped on my college campus by a male friend. I have not told my parents because it happened while I was drunk. I'm ashamed because if I was not drunk, this would not have happened. Um, You know, 
great comment. So I guess the question you're asking is what you should do in this situation. I am going to suggest as a clinician that not only do you tell your parents what happened, that you're forthright that you were drinking. Here's the thing. No one has the right to rape you, whether you were drinking or not drinking. And there is definitely a myth that, okay, if a girl is drunk and, um, you know, she's not conscious, she's not conscious enough to say no, right? And so it's okay for someone to do that. But that's not okay. And that's also blaming the victim. Had you not been drunk, this would not have occurred. So, and, and part of rape culture is we don't teach men. So we say to women, don't get drunk so you won't get raped. Carry pepper spray so you won't get raped. But we should be teaching men not to rape. We should be teaching women not to rape. So if we teach people not to rape, then you not that you should have been drunk, but if you were intoxicated, if we are teaching men and women not to rape each other, then even you being intoxicated would not have allowed that person to think that raping you was okay. Right, because that person would have known that it's wrong, regardless if you're passed out, conscious or not, he's not going to do that and, and, and do that against you, mm-hmm. okay, and, and, and that, do that assault against you because it's nothing to do with you. It has to do with that person, and they feel, for whatever reason, that it's okay to assault somebody, okay, so it all has to do with the perpetrator in that situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Jennifer, any thoughts? And in rape culture, what actually is rape culture? Well, the definition is when we socially normalize that it's okay to assault someone. Mm-hmm. And we tend to minimize the seriousness of that. It's breaking the law mm-hmm. and it's causing trauma or harm to another individual. So part of that is of the prevention is to teach men and women what consent is and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the key elements that might be missing. Mm-hmm. And if we get that out there mm-hmm. and more people pay attention and become aware of what their rights are, what healthy boundaries are, then perhaps we could prevent a lot of these crimes from happening. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I remember vividly about my freshman year in college is our RA set all the, all the dormies down, and we sat down in a circle, and she asked the question, how do you know that somebody wants to kiss you? And she went around to like 70 people, and they were like, he looks you in the eye, and he holds your face, and he kisses you. Another person says he touches your hands, and he kisses Like he, She went around to everybody. And when we finished, she said, because he asked you, can I kiss you, and you say yes or no. Mm, wow. And we were like, oh, like I thought you meant like I saw you from a crowded room. And so we are not taught to ask consent. But if you're going to have sex with someone, you should be asking consent. And I want to be very clear. If a person is under a certain age, you have to check with your state, they can't consent even if they say yes. So that's another misnomer, that if she's 16 and big, then then she can say yes. But she cannot say yes because under a certain age, you actually don't have agency over your own body to say yes in those situations. So even if we get consent, we have to ask people for consent that are old enough to consent and that are competent to consent. You know, one of the things I think we see a lot in mental health is people that have um, severe mental illnesses being raped, and then people say, well, I asked her, could I have sex with her? And she says, yes. Well, she is slowly psychotic and saying yes to you. That's not a yes. That's a great point. That's That's not a yes. Or um, we've seen a lot more nursing home rape. If someone is, if someone's in a situation of power over someone else and they say, oh, can we have sex, and, and somebody says yes, but they they're, they can't even get out of their own bed, that's not a yes. You know, so we have to be very careful, as Jennifer mentioned, that we are teaching people to get consent for intimacy. You can't just decide from across a crowded room that this is okay for me to do and I want to do it. And everyone has a different um 
level of comfort, comfortableness saying yes or no to something. So you, you really want to be getting consent from people to have sex with them. So we've got about two and a half more minutes. I'm going to pick one more question. Um, this one says, number eight, Jennifer, I've always self-medicated with drugs for as long as I can remember. How does a person stop using drugs? What are the first steps? Do 12-step programs work? Well, first of all, I congratulate you for admitting that you have a problem with uh, drug use, whether it be alcohol uh, or any other controlled substance. Uh, step one is admitting that you have a problem. It's part of the 12-step program, and yes, 12-step programs are highly effective for a lot of people. Uh, the other piece, too, is I would recommend that you make an appointment to have an assessment done with a professional to get a a pretty good, strong analysis of the level of addiction that you may uh, be harboring. Um, and also, again, it's difficult to do it by yourself in terms of coping through uh, an addiction. No one asks for an addiction, but they really have to how to cope through one. And there are many professionals out there who will be more than ready and happy to help you through and uh, engage in group therapy as well, because positive feedback or feedback from your group peers can be most healing, knowing that you're not alone. Absolutely. First of all, I want to thank Jennifer for coming out tonight to do yeah, our show. We totally Jennifer. appreciate having appreciate you. you. We're excited to have you co-hosting with us. Thanks. For the people that wrote in questions, we have so many more questions that we did not have a chance to get to. But if you find yourself in the category of needing help, Definitely feel free to call our office, 630-428-2344, and ask for help. And you can specifically ask for Jennifer Bialek. She will be happy to help you with your, your therapy needs. Also, support us in stopping rape culture. Let's stop rape culture together. Hashtag, let's stop rape culture together. Come out tomorrow and talk to us about rape culture and catch our, our documentary, Scars of the Soul. So we will see you tomorrow, or we will talk to you next week. All right? Have a great day. All right, have a great day. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.